0: Hi, everyone. It's uh, good to be here tonight. Uh, my name's uh, Danny, and I normally, I'm part of Door of Hope, but uh, my family, I have a young family. We, uh, we come to the morning service and are involved in the morning service. So it's actually a nice, refreshing um, opportunity to come to Undone, something that I don't get to do very often. Good to be with you tonight. Hey, um, I uh, work at uh, Worldview Centre. It's uh, training Place for um, people who want to learn to work in teams, um, especially overseas. Uh, In other words, missionaries who will um, operate in cross-cultural teams. So they come to Worldview over in St. Leonard's, and we spend time together. Um, They study, um, you know, theology uh, classes, but there's uh, discipleship elements to to the program as well. So this is this is what I do, and I teach there. So it's good to be here with you tonight, and. Tonight I'm thinking of uh, two friends, Uh, I'm thinking of my friend Bruce, uh, Bruce Pinky, Bruce is is an American who spent a lot of time in Africa and um, he was uh, a missionary there and uh, he spent uh, uh, a lot of time with the local uh, men in particular and uh, he was known to be a risk taker and uh, actually uh, stories uh, of, of him going into places to eat that were so questionable that even the local Africans of that village wouldn't go in. You know, and he would experience, uh, he had tattoos uh, on his body and um, he uh, had a story for every one of those tattoos and he went back to the US and kept working with Africans who had uh, immigrated to, uh, to the US. Um, he was a visiting lecturer at Worldview, so he came um, over a number of years to lecture on world religions, that was his specialty. He really loved talking and teaching about the various uh, religions, including his experiences in Africa. And he loved coming to Door of Hope, actually. Um, He especially loved the band, he loved the music. He couldn't get enough guitar solos. Every time he came, he said, where are the guitar solos? And um, so he had a good, uh, friendly banter. And three years ago he was here, and uh, he came to Door of Hope. And actually, one morning, he didn't come out of bed and uh, to our dining room, we eat together every day. And um, he eventually came out uh, towards the end of the day, and he looked, he looked yellow. It was awful. And he was, uh, he'd was—he been here in Australia for a while on his own uh, for, for this teaching thing. Um, but he was not well towards the end. And so we thought he had hepatitis, so we tried to help him just to get on a plane and, and go back if he was due to go back. Well, that was the start of a disease that eventually uh, ...took over his life. So last Friday he died uh, from, from this uh, pancreatic cancer, I think it was in the end. So I'm thinking about Bruce tonight. I'm also thinking of a, of a friend I'm going to name John... ...because John is here in Tassie and John is married and he has a, a young family... ...and uh, got another baby on the way. And uh, actually we caught up, Christy, my wife and I caught up with John... And we had an opportunity to spend time with them because they're interested in maybe working in Southeast Asia. What does it look like to be a missionary? How can we do this as a family? So we answered some questions. And um, uh, I was prompted this week, I don't know why, well I, I know why now, but not at the time. I sent, uh, sent them a message, hey, how's it going? Um, love catching up with you. Um, let us know when we come up or we'll let you know when we're coming down. And um, she replied and she said, thanks for your message, you know what, life's been a little bit hard at the moment because um, it turns out that John has uh, testicular cancer, and so he's probably only just 30, and so I'm thinking about him as well tonight. And I'm not necessarily saying that suffering equals cancer, um, but there's two things that I want to uh, mention, uh, why I'm mentioning these two stories, and the one is um, an element of proximity, okay? Okay. When we're talking about suffering, we need to understand that there are people suffering everywhere. Next to us, um, around us, when we watch the TV, there's suffering happening everywhere. But sometimes there's an element of distance. And yet, when we dive into someone's life, when we get to know them, we realize that there's an element of proximity there that we sometimes lack. And suffering is very real. The second element is that of severity. So, proximity and severity. Suffering is real, suffering is tangible, suffering and pain is part of our lives, and it's severe, it has implications, it has consequences. Let me tell you, um, I'll give you an example around this idea. You know, um, Christy, my wife, was away for a couple of weeks, and it meant that I was on deck at home looking after our three, little, our three kids under seven, and um, I was ready for war, I was uh, okay, I was, I was prepared. <laughs> But April, our youngest, who's just turned two, has worked out how to get out of the cot. Um, she has a sleep suit, so she's worked out how to unzip herself. She's worked out how to throw a leg over the, the rail and actually jump onto Ivy's bed and then uh, come out. The problem with this is that she worked out how to do this when Christy was away. And so she's been getting up really early and um, it was 5.50 a.m., and she came to my side of the bed, Daddy, Daddy, breakfast. Or she might want to watch the Wiggles or something. I didn't care at the time. At 5.50, I don't care very much for actually much. And so I managed to get out of bed. I got her some breakfast. I turned the TV on just to give me, just give me 30 minutes, just 30 minutes. I just want to go back to bed. On my way back to bed, I hit my toe. Have you kicked, have you kicked your toe on something, like on a bed? Or a, or a door, well, man, it hurt. It was throbbing and I jumped into bed and I was laying there going, wow, that really hurt. That really hurt. I wonder if I've broken something. I didn't, I didn't think much of it, I fell asleep, yes, <laughs> and I uh, woke up about half an hour later with the next child wanting something. And I was walking to school uh, to drop my daughter off and I looked down and I thought, this is still hurting. I looked down and this piece of skin flapping around in between <laughs> my toes. And I thought, shivers, that really hurt. And um, I can can tell Ivy a thing or two about kicking doors and uh, actually sharing my experience with her. But, you know, I share that story with you because then you'd go, oh, well, that's nothing. This is what happened to me the other day. And then I'd say, oh, that's nothing. I was playing basketball and I ended up with a crooked finger that was facing the other way. And then you say, oh, that's nothing. What happened to me? And i would say, no, no, no. I was riding my bike and I cracked my elbow because my chain fell off and I fell sideways. No, no, no. And we'd go around and around and around in circles, right? And it reminds me of this uh, Monty Python uh, sketch. Um, I don't know if you know Monty Python. So uh, uh, we were so poor, I think, And they're sitting around a table and they just share stories and it just spirals down and it completely out of proportion. We were so poor, we lived in a shoebox in the middle of the road with 150 people and we ate dirt for breakfast, that kind of thing. And it just kept getting worse and worse. You know, I'd say those stories because, well, it's pain and you already, you are putting some categories in your mind. Is it worth engaging with this pain? Do I understand? I can understand what it feels like to kick a bed or a door with your foot. But there's an element of proximity. You're not close to me right now. Um, You can relate to the severity, but it's not really severe. But let me tell you another story, and that is that I grew up in Spain. And um, when when I came back as a 15-year-old, worse than learning English was having to learn who I was, okay? And so this is an element that I've wrestled with since I was 15. For the next 20 years, I've had to wrestle with issues of identity. Who am I? Where do I belong? What does it feel like to actually grow up with a family and not knowing my uncles or aunties or um, cousins or my grandparents? What does it feel like to have depression? And that was the outcome in my 20s. I, I got myself into a bit of a dark spot for a number of years, requiring medication and requiring help. What does it feel like to be depressed? And so an outcome of this uh, results in some eating problems that I have. And obviously you can tell that I don't have any eating problems. I enjoy to eat. But the problem is um, I gain weight. Now, eating is not the problem. Gaining weight is not the problem because my body is doing exactly what my body is supposed to do when you eat a lot of food. You're supposed to grow. It's responding. There's another layer, okay? There's a layer of pain. There's a layer of identity. I'm not sure where I belong. And then it plays out in other areas. Okay, now we're getting a little bit closer to the heart, aren't we? Because you've got a story. In fact, I could get Steve right here, right now, our senior minister, and he could stand here and tell you a thing or two about suffering, about pain. I could get Ted Bosveld on the DVD. We could get him here tonight and he'd be able to share with you a thing or two about pain in his life, about suffering. So we come to this question, how can a God of love allow um, suffering, allow pain in the world? And so when I was, when I thought about this question, I thought of two men. The first one is Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry is English, he's a comedian, and actually he knows a thing or two about pain, especially before he was even 15, he experienced um, a lot of hurt. Now, um, I was thinking about Stephen Fry in the context of God. Now, Stephen Fry doesn't believe in God, and in 2013, he did an interview, a TV interview in the UK, and you can watch it on YouTube and um, actually, he's, um, he said this, It's utterly, utterly evil. Why would I respect a capricious, mean-spirited, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? And then he went on to say, Bone cancer in children? What's that about? Because the God who created this universe, if it was created by God, is quite clearly a maniac, out maniac, totally selfish, we have spent. We we have to spend our life on our knees thanking him. What kind of God would do that? So it's no surprise that Stephen Fry is an atheist. He doesn't believe there is a God, and his argument for the the fact that there can't be a God is because of this pain and this suffering. And so let's go to another man who's less aggressive when it comes to the issue of God, and his name's David Attenborough. And you know David Attenborough from the from the you know the. Uh, planet earth i think it's called the bbc documentaries and so on and he's been a spokesperson for lots of projects around the world when it comes to nature and and the animal kingdom and now he was also interviewed and the question came up do you believe in god why aren't you crediting god with the wonderful things that you've seen and so he responded by saying this are you telling me that the god you believe in who you also say is an all-merciful god who cares for each one of us individually, are you saying that God created this worm that can live in no other way than in an innocent child's eyeball? Because that doesn't seem to me to coincide with a God who's full of mercy. And he's speaking about a, a disease in a part of Africa, I think, where this happens, where this worm eats the eyeball and makes our children go blind. And so these are compelling arguments. Let's be real here. When you're talking about if there is a God or if there's no God, this question is going to come up. If there is a God, then how come there's suffering? And it's a very good question. It's a real question because pain is real, suffering is tangible. And so um, I want to unpack the question a little bit. What is it really saying? I think it's saying, well, three possibilities. If God is all loving, he would eliminate pain and suffering. If he was all-powerful, he would be able to do it. And so there's there's pain in the world, so therefore there is no God. So did you get that? So God cannot be loving because there's pain in the world. That's evidence that God is not a loving God. What if you say he is loving and you can prove it, then they would say, well, he's not powerful. He might be loving, but he's not powerful enough to stop evil. So therefore, he's not worth trusting, he's not worth believing in. And so the outcome of this is that there is no God. If he's he's not all-loving and if he's not all-powerful and if evil's still in the world, then there's no point. Thanks very much. I'm going somewhere else. The problem with this is that philosophers have been wrestling with this question for ages. This is not a new question. It's not a, a latest question last year or even 10 years ago. Actually, philosophers have been wrestling with this year after year after year after year now theology can explain pain and suffering but it doesn't answer the question either philosophy tries to answer the question but it can't do it and the outcome of this is something that philosophers call the problem of pain or the problem of suffering actually and the argument it comes to light in the discussion is that it's not so much that bad things happen to good people it's that bad things happen to bad people as well. Did you get that? So the argument is that good things and bad things happen to good people and bad people. And so philosophically, this answer, we keep going around and around in circles. We can't answer it. And actually, uh, Jesus hints to this in Matthew chapter 4, uh, sorry, 5. He says this. He causes, so he's talking about... Um, He's talking about God. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So even Jesus understood uh, this predicament as well. What about Job? Let's go right back to the Bible, Old Testament. Job is wrestling with this theme of how can bad things happen to me when I didn't do anything wrong? And then he has a conversation with his three friends and it goes on for a long time. What about Psalms wrestle with this idea of, where are you, God, in my pain? Where are you when things hurt? And this is what the psalmists um, call the lament. As a nation, we're lamenting where we're at. And if you want to look at a psalm that doesn't end well, look at Psalm 88. And in theology, there is two problem psalms, and this is one of them, Psalm 88. Um, Let's go to Augustine of Hippo, 300 years after Jesus. Augustine, if you like. Uh, He was a North African monk, he was a philosopher, he was a theologian. He wrote a book called The Confessions, and um, he wrestles with this idea as well. What about in the 20th century, C.S. Lewis? We know him for the the Narnia books, right? Well, he also experienced some pain, and he also tried to wrestle with this concept. And he wrote a little book called The Problem of um, Pain. And actually, I want to pick out a a, a quote uh, from C.S. Lewis, and he said this, if God thinks this state of war in the universe is a price worth paying for free will, then we may take it, it is worth paying. If God thinks this state of war in the universe is a price worth paying for free will, then we may take it, it is worth paying. So there's an invitation here that C.S. Lewis is grappling with, and this concept that I'm wrestling with in my own life is this idea of response. God wants to have a response from us. Either way, you can neglect him or you can accept him. So he's inviting us to have a discussion, if you like, or better still, a relationship with God. And when it comes to answering these questions, I think that God knows the longing of my heart. He knows your heart better than you do. He knows where I stand better than I do. And so God looks at my heart, and actually the longing of my heart is not really for an answer when we think about it. God doesn't want to answer your question because He knows that you long for something more. And I think that God doesn't answer this question of suffering because that's not what we, what we, what we want, what we need. We have a longing, and it's not in answers. In other words, answering this age-old question is not going to satisfy me. So if it's not in answers, then it has to be in relationship. It is in relationship that we find this new word, redemption. Answers don't redeem us. Jesus redeems us. Answers don't redeem us. Relationship redeems us. And the reason I rely on Jesus is because He responded first to God. God had a purpose for Jesus' life, and that purpose involved suffering. But it's Jesus' life and death and resurrection that meant that I'm compelled to want to know Him more than I am wanting to know answers to my questions. And um, I came across a really interesting um, interview by, um, not interview, it was a, it was a discussion by an, a lady by the name of um, uh, Johnny Erickson Tada, and she said, God permits what he hates to accomplish that which he loves. God permits that which he hates to accomplish that which he loves. At 17, she jumped into shallow water and broke her back. And she's a quadriplegic and has been for the last 40 or 50 years. So I think she knows a thing or two about pain and suffering. And so God hated sending His Son to the cross in order to accept, in order to bring out what He loves. And that is a relationship with you. A relationship with me. Now, this is the challenging part of our Christian faith because I'm not only going to suffer because I'm in a broken world, I'm also going to suffer because I believe in Jesus. And um, in that sense, it's almost like a double-edged sword. I'm a person in a broken world, and inevitably I'm going to experience suffering. That's one aspect. But I'm also a Christian. I also follow Jesus. And uh, in a world that continually... Um, ignores Jesus, or is hostile towards Jesus, I'm going to find myself in positions of trouble. And uh, it's guaranteed. It's almost like a promise in Scripture. If you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, then suffering is going to be part of the story. Um, I've got 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, living you an example that you should also follow in his steps. It doesn't say following the steps that actually um, swerves around suffering. It actually says follow in Jesus' footsteps, and that ultimately leads to death. As f- and that's certainly some people's story when it comes to their faith. What about Philippians chapter 1, 29? It says, for It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, that's a nice, nice thing, but also to suffer for him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So that his life may be revealed in in my mortal body. What does that look like? Well, at this point, I want to introduce you to a lady by the name of Dr. Helen Rosevear. Helen Rosevear was a missionary in the Congo and uh, in, during the 50s. And uh, in the 60s, um, uh, the Congo went through, or the Belgian Congo, I think it was known at the time, went through some turmoil. And um, she endured a lot. And uh, she was a missionary, a medical doctor, and she was uh, what we would call a, a wecker. So she was uh, a weck missionary, weck being a mission agency, sending missionaries all over the world. And um, there was uprising, and um, uh, ultimately this uh, uprising uh, would affect her at a very personal level, and she was um, sexually assaulted, and I say that um, is the mild version, okay? Um, And so, not only once, but twice. And actually, this ordeal went for five months for her life. And um, this is an interview in Canada. This uh, film that you're about to see, or this interview, only goes for about four and a half minutes. It's in 2011, and um, Helen is actually 85 in this interview. And I want you to listen to what she's saying, her experience of God during that particular night where these terrible things uh, happened. Let's watch this video. Uh,
1: And uh, it was a horrific night. I was... uh... They came into the house and said they were looking for whatever a- and they smashed everything they ransacked the house and they didn't find what they were looking for i didn't happen to possess a radio or anything like this but um then they turned on me and it was a uh, there was a moment i was out of the veranda of the house at one moment and this little i don't know what sergeant major of the rebel soldiers stood there with a gun pointed, a pistol pressed against my forehead uh, and uh, I don't know if it was loaded or not, but I presumed it was. Uh, and he said, say that Lumumba, and that was their patron saint, say that Lumumba is the saviour of the world. You know, I wasn't praying, I wasn't thinking, but I just knew that wasn't true. <laughs> I knew the only one saviour of the world, and that was Jesus. So I just said, no, never. Jesus is the only saviour of the world. I, I think in my heart, I think I was actually praying he would shoot. it would be been quick, clean, finished. But, but uh, out on the out on the courtyard with one of my junior students from the college uh, and uh, he was being held by these men and he broke loose and he threw himself between me and this little soldier he said, you don't touch her, but over my dead body. And they turned on him and they beat him up so savagely. Uh, I didn't know till well, two years later that he was not killed, actually. He survived, but it was terrible, terrible. Then they drove me down the corridor of my home and somehow in that moment I... S- I think I was saying, God, where are you? What, whatever's going on? And there was suddenly a tremendous, what can I say, consciousness. God was there. He was big uh, and uh, he was. There in- was a moment where you thought you'd been abandoned. Well, I, I don't think I ever lost my faith in God, but I just felt he wasn't looking after me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and, and suddenly I knew he was, and he was in charge, and that uh, these rebel soldiers were very small compared to the almightiness of God. Uh, and uh, as they drove me down the corridor, I think he spoke to me, but I didn't hear words. It was afterwards, looking back, I had to ask the Lord, what did you actually say, put into words for me? I think what he said was, Can you thank me? And my heart was saying, No, this has gone too far. I, I knew what lay ahead. I could see the whole thing was horrible. Uh, and uh, he said, Can you thank me for trusting you? I, I thought, This is unbelievable. I know I trust him, but I never thought of him trusting me. It was revolutionary to think that he trusted me. And in this second, I could see what he was saying I thought I could trust you. I thought you wouldn't bite me. (laughs) And God was saying, Can you thank me for trusting you with this experience, even if I never tell you why? And I even in the midst of the darkness, I'd only split a minute, all this Uh, was, Dear Lord, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know why you're saying it. I don't know who will ever be blessed by this, but if this is part of your plan, yes, thank you for trusting me." And immediately uh, I was flooded with a sense of the enormous peace, peace of God. It was wonderful. I just knew,
0: it it was as though
1: he said, all I want of you is the loan of your body. Uh, And it was Jesus in me. They weren't fighting me, they were fighting Jesus. Uh, And all I had to do was say, yes, Jesus, I'm yours. You're in me, just as you want. And uh, it didn't stop the pain, the humiliation, the cruelty. Uh, It didn't take that away. It was all there. But suddenly it was with him and for him. And it just revolutionized everything. It was wonderful. Later, years later, when when we came home on furlough, uh, we were rescued by mercenary soldiers, we were sent home. And I talked all, all over the United Kingdom and some, every now and again, a woman would come up to me at the end of women's meetings and say, but why did God allow, and then they'd pause, they, why did a God of love allow suffering? Really, they were saying to me, why did God of love allow you to suffer? You were a missionary, you were out there serving him. I thought, you know, we never asked that question. So I didn't have an answer because we never asked the question. And I just thought, Lord... You're just so wonderful and you're so marvelous, and it's such a privilege that he is our master, our friend, our savior, our lord, our king, uh, that that he's the right to anything. And I'd given my life to him, so why not?
0: (laughs) Remarkable lady. And I was thinking as I was watching that, when I grow up, I want to be like her, you know, and um, actually, she died uh, December last year. And um, she talks about her ordeal in, uh, in Africa and shared that story in various different platforms. And um, that went for five months. And at one point during this interview, I couldn't show it all because of time, but she's talking about how um, she would never sing um, if she were standing in front of a firing squad. And sure enough, she found herself in front of a firing squad. And she, in her mind, she thought, I'm never going to sing as if I'm going to sing, this is, um, uh, you know, if I find myself in that position, I'm, I'm not going to want to respond to God with thanks, essentially. I'm actually going to be annoyed that this is happening. Well, sure enough, uh, after this ordeal, she's in front of the firing squad, and she was singing away. All the songs that they could think of that had the name Jesus in there. And um, they were spared, they were rescued. And so I, uh, thinking of Helen Rosevear, Notice that she didn't have an answer to the question. She was asked the question, how could a God of love allow you to go through this? And she said, I never even asked the question. She didn't have an answer, but she had a response. Notice the difference there. She didn't have an answer to that question, but she knew how to respond. She knew who to respond to. And actually, her verse, uh, really, uh, from when she became a Christian, was Philippians Chapter 3, verse 10, which says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. As a new Christian, she realized that if she was going to be a true, real deal Christian, that that would inevitably uh, involve suffering. And so that's the question that that God spoke to her in that time, Can you thank me? This is God speaking to her. Can you thank me for trusting you with this experience, even if I never tell you why? So I'm going to ask you that same question. Can you thank God? Can you thank Jesus, your Heavenly Father? Can you thank Him for trusting you with your illness? Can you thank him for trusting you with your financial situation? Can you thank him for trusting you with a job that isn't working out at the moment, that this is where you find yourself? Can you thank him for trusting you uh, with the uncertain future, this position that you find yourself, or whatever it is that your experience is? Now, Jesus faced the same question. When you think about it, he found himself in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was going to be crucified, and he had to wrestle with this. He had to wrestle with the concept that there was a Father in heaven that was going to allow him to go to the cross and suffer and carry the pain of the world. At God's invitation to become the sacrifice, Jesus had a response. And what I love about thinking about Jesus in this, in this scene is that God trusted Jesus. There was no other that God would trust. God trusted His Son to suffer for the sake of the world. And so let me come back to Bruce, who passed away recently. Um, I received, we received his, uh, his updates as he was uh, becoming more unwell. And um, he was telling this story of a conversation that he had. Someone said to me, why, why have you asked God, why is this happening to you? And not surprisingly, he had the same answer that Helen had. He said, I hadn't even thought of it. I hadn't even thought of asking God why. You know, he went away and he thought to himself, maybe I should ask why. So by himself, he had time with God and he asked this question, why God? Why is this happening to me? And guess what the answer was? And he heard from from God in a very clear way. And God said, Because I can trust you with this. I can trust you with this illness. In other words, Bruce was carrying this illness on behalf of God. And I don't think he really knew why. I mean, he knew why God was trusting him, but he didn't really know why in the end, because it was very painful. And so let's come back to the original question. How can a God of love allow suffering in the world? You know what my answer is? My answer is, I don't know. I could talk to you about it philosophically. We could spend time theologically um, coming up with an answer. But if I'm really honest, at the end of the day, my answer would be, I don't know. I don't know why there's pain in the world, why there's suffering in the world. But if Bruce's life is anything to go by, if Helen's life is anything to go by, if Jesus' life is anything to go by, then God values my response. God values my relationship with Him more than any answer that He could give me. And that's my answer to that question. And so we're going to have a discussion, I'll explain that in a second, but I want to pray just right at this point because I think it's um, a challenging concept that we would believe in a God that actually would expect us to suffer when you think about christianity it's a very unique faith it's distinct there are lots of other faiths that actually deal with trying to appease god you make sure you offer the right amount of prayers you make sure you offer the right amount of offerings and in order to make sure that whatever gods that you're praying to don't punish you that's not the relationship that we have with god The relationship that I have with God is one that reveals that God actually expects me to suffer not because he's mean but because he suffered first. He's saying, I expect you to suffer because I've been down this road before. That is the the essence of our Christian faith. That is why Christianity is both appealing and also shocking at the same time. And so I want to pray. I'm going to pray for Um, for courage that's my sense tonight that um, actually we would gain the confidence and the courage to have an answer not if suffering happens not if pain happens but when it happens so uh, let's pray together as I finish this time and so Lord we come before you and um, we're not afraid of questions And um, I want to thank you that uh, you've given us a a mind to be able to question what we see, uh, a mind to be able to look around and um, um, ask of each other, why is this happening? What's going on here? I don't understand. And yet, Lord, I want to thank you that uh, in the midst of all those questions, um, there is a um, God who wants to respond to us. Uh, We want to respond to God. We want to have a relationship that goes back and forward. And so, Lord, it's a sobering thought knowing that um, being your disciple means that suffering is inevitable. And yet, when I think about suffering, if I had a choice to do it, either um, uh, ignoring God or doing it with Jesus, Lord, I ask for me and for all of us here tonight that we would always choose to suffer with Jesus. It just makes more sense. Why? Because you suffered first. And uh, Lord, I want to ask in particular for a sense of courage for my friends here tonight for me as well. Lord, I ask that um, through your Holy Spirit, when the time comes, when in our time of uh, suffering, in our time of pain, you would give us courage not to run away from God, not to run away from you, but actually to turn to you and say, God, where are you in my suffering? Um, What is this for? Who is this going to impact? Who is this going to bless? Lord, give us greater courage. Give us greater faith to be able to uh, declare who you are, uh, worship you, and uh, not necessarily with the words that we're using, but, but with how we're living our lives. Lord, there's so much pain and suffering in the world. Um, and um, I acknowledge that uh, here at Door of Hope, the vision is to to be a door of hope through, in a fragile and uncertain world. And that's where we're operating in. And, uh, and yet we need to be able to tell a story. We need to be able to say that that there is a God that is good, a God that is loving. And even though we don't have the answers by faith, we believe you to be true and uh, reliable because you have been here before and you know exactly what we're going through. That's the story that we want to proclaim to those outside of uh, uh, those that don't have a relationship with you. So Lord, I pray for more courage, more faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, at Wellview we do this, um, uh, because it's a learning community and um, we, we need to be able to not only do, you know, class things, you know, a whiteboard and PowerPoint presentations and you take notes or whatever, but actually a lot of the learning and a lot of the, the fruit that comes from spending time at Wellview is actually in discussion and um, we, we spend a lot of time talking to each other. What do you think God is saying in this or what's he saying to you? What do you think this verse is saying? And um, we do this in meal times, there's formal times where it happens, there's very casual times where it happens. So we're going to do that um, tonight as well. And um, it's a thing that we do here at Undone. Normally there's tables, but um, there's going to be some questions, uh, three questions in relation to what I've just been sharing. So I want you to just turn to the person next to you if you feel comfortable or, or turn into a little, little huddle. And I want you to think about these questions and have a discussion around um, what these questions might be. Um, so the first one relates to an article in christianity today and uh, one of the points that uh, this uh, writer says is that though suffering isn't good god can use it to accomplish good what do you think he means by that and romans 8 might be a clue there the second question is god permits what he hates in order to accomplish that which he loves which i mentioned earlier do you agree or disagree with that and then the last one jesus teaches that being his disciple means that you will suffer. If you're experiencing suffering now, what do you know about God that you didn't know before? I'm really trying to dig for the relationship part there. And if suffering isn't part of your story, what is one thing you can do today to prepare your heart um, for when that time comes? So turn to the person next to you or to your uh, little group and um, have a discussion around these questions.